Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. Time for our Bible reading this morning. So if you have your Bible with you, please turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. John, chapter 20. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was what was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's welcome Pastor Luke. Thank you, right? Appreciate it, mate. Good morning, everyone. We're coming into the Easter series, and it's full of good news. Who likes good news? Excellent. There's some good news in our church family this week as well. We've had two babies born. They're popping like popcorn. It's great. First of all, on Tuesday the 2nd, Nick and Kate Watson uh, had a baby called Paige Elizabeth Watson, uh, six pound three ounces. And then yesterday, on Saturday the 6th of April, Mel Kershaw, Mel and Tim, had a baby called Lucy Grace Kershaw. And she was eight pound three. And so they're not here today, I don't think. You wouldn't expect them to be. Some are here? Oh, Nick and Kate are up the back, on the very back row. So make sure you congratulate them. Let's give them a round of applause. That's particularly for you, Kate. Although I know it's hard work, Nick, when you're there. It's exhausting. I've been there before. So well done to you as well. But good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be here. Um, You know that in 2019, our theme for the year is change. And today we're commencing our Easter series, and we've titled it The Greatest Change of All. Maybe this year you've been thinking about change, and you've got a desire to see your life change for growth this year. That's not uncommon. Most of us, uh, particularly at the start of a new year, make decisions or resolutions to change aspects of our life and faith for the better. But as we saw in our vision month, um, statistics show that by Valentine's Day, which is gone now, 
80 to 90% of all those resolutions have already been broken because the motivation has worn off and the busyness of life has settled back in. And so what better time than Easter to rekindle that desire for change when we can revisit the work of Jesus through his death and his resurrection and be reminded that the gospel brings the greatest change of all. We can have self-help and we can have self-discipline. We can change our habits. We can have meditation and motivation. And all these things can be a part of change. But the gospel is the only way to true, lasting, eternal, spiritual change. The death and resurrection of Jesus are the most significant events in human history. And the impact of those events have changed billions of lives ever since and continue up until today. What Jesus achieved that first Easter and how we respond to it will determine our eternal destination and impact our lives every day as we live for Christ. This is what we celebrate at Easter time. This is why we gather as a community. This is what makes us who we are in Christ. And so there should be a real sense of joy as we come into this Easter season. Is anyone feeling joyful this morning? Tell your faces. Something to be joyful about today. It's Easter time. We're remembering what Jesus has done for us. The gospel is powerful and it's life-changing. And many of you sitting in this room can testify to that. And as we'll see in the life of Thomas today, Jesus' death and most importantly his resurrection changes our lives and gives us purpose like nothing else can. As we come to Easter, maybe you're a little discouraged. Maybe you're discouraged because nothing's changed in your life so far in 2019. You had good intentions, but they've kind of fallen flat. Maybe you've already made mistakes this year and you're ashamed or disappointed. Well, the next four messages are a chance to reflect on all of that and bring those things to the cross where there is forgiveness and trust in the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. And so be encouraged today that what we're exploring in this series is the key to lasting change. And so... Don't come to Easter this year thinking, I've heard this all before. I want to encourage you to come to Easter this year with hungry and expectant hearts because I think the gospel could grip our hearts and change our lives in new and powerful ways this Easter if we're willing to open our hearts and open our minds to all that Christ has done. And so today we start our series in John chapter 20. And the disciples at this stage of their journey were in a dark and dangerous place. Jesus had been crucified and they'd hit rock bottom. And so we pick it up today, if I get the slide up, in verse 19. And we find it's evening time on the first day of the week. And the disciples who had confidently followed Jesus for the last three years throughout his earthly ministry, the same men who had witnessed his miracles, who had heard his extraordinary teaching, and who put their faith in him as the Son of God, are now locked in a room, living in fear of the Jewish leaders. These Jewish leaders had been on a mission. They'd been on a mission to destroy Jesus, to have him arrested and crucified on a cross, and to stamp out this Christianity business once and for all. And at this moment in history, kind of locked in time, it appears that they've been successful. Jesus is dead, and the main leaders of the Christian movement are now trembling in fear in a locked room, terrified about what these same Jewish leaders might do to them. You can only imagine the extent of their emotions in that room. They'd followed Jesus everywhere for three years. They'd given up everything to do so. They'd left their careers, 
They left their inheritance, their family, their friends, and their reputation, and they put it all on the line for Jesus. All their chips were thrown in. If this was a poker game, all the chips are on the table, and they've played a losing hand, and it appears that they've lost a lot. They had trusted that Jesus was the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, that he was going to be the earthly leader that would lead them to conquer the Roman Empire and establish the kingdom of God on earth where they would reign and rule with him. They'd been waiting generations for this man. But for them, it all ended at Golgotha, Golgotha, the hill they called the skull, the location of crucifixion, the place of shame and death, and the place where Jesus breathed his last breath at the hands of the same Romans they had hoped to conquer. Their dreams and hopes all died with Jesus. Their future hope and expectations were crushed with Christ. And now the same Jewish leaders who had plotted Jesus' downfall were coming for them. They were terrified. The disciples would have felt embarrassed and confused. How could they be so foolish to give everything away and follow Jesus? They would have been heartbroken that they lost their leader and their friend. They were so certain that he was the Messiah, that he was truly the Son of God. How could they have got it so wrong? This is a snapshot into the lives of the pre-resurrection followers of Jesus, devoid of hope, locked in a room, fearing the worst. This literally was their darkest hour. And it's in this moment, when all hope is gone, that Jesus steps back into the story and brings them hope. What I really want to get across today is the difference in the disciples, including Thomas, before and after the resurrection of Christ. This is what is so powerful about Easter. It's not the Easter bunny. It's not the holidays. It's not even the chocolate, although that is good. If you're thinking about getting your pasta an Easter egg, don't let me discourage you. Cadbury is the best, just saying. But it's not even about the chocolate. The most powerful thing about Easter is that if Jesus can rise from the dead, defeating death itself, then nothing is impossible. And that should change us from the inside out, filling us with a boldness and confidence in the person of Jesus Christ. For these first disciples, the moment Jesus appeared in that room, risen from the dead, everything changed. Darkness turned to light. Hope flooded back into their hearts. Joy returned to their lives and their faith and confidence grew supernaturally. It all hinged on this one event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's this event in history that brings the greatest change of all. So I said before, we all want change in our lives. The greatest change of all comes from the gospel. The gospel hinges on the resurrection. Therefore, resurrection is the most important truth in all of Christianity. Our faith rises or falls on the resurrection. The Apostle Paul said that if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, literally useless, and you are still lost in your sins. But if he did rise from the dead, then not even death itself has any power over those who trust in him. What an amazing victory we have in Christ. That makes the resurrection the bedrock truth of Christianity. And here we are in John 20, seeing the reality that nothing else could have changed those disciples like the resurrection did. And so here's the first change that came from the resurrection up on the screen. The resurrection replaced doubt and fear in the pre-resurrection disciples with peace and joy in the post-resurrection disciples. The resurrection replaced doubt and fear with peace and joy. 
I've said it before, but I believe as post-resurrection Christians, we should be the most peaceful and the most joyful people on earth because we serve a risen king who has given us eternal hope. The world is watching us as followers of Jesus and they observe how we respond in different circumstances of life, particularly the difficult times of life. And they want to see whether we respond in faith in those times or whether we respond in fear. And I think our response really reveals where our faith is at, how mature we are in Christ. On Monday we had the Thanksgiving service for our dear friend Peter Brown. And it was a sad day in many ways because we're going to miss him terribly. But it was also a celebration of peace and joy because of the resurrection hope that we have in Christ. In verse 19, in the midst of that dark room, it says that Jesus stood among his disciples and he said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. I think it's worth noting that these disciples are really in the midst of the most difficult time of their lives. Maybe the darkest day of their life up until this point. And I want you to notice, where is Jesus in the midst of that? Well, it tells us in the passage that Jesus is standing with them. And he says, peace be with you. You know, at the Thanksgiving service, Jesus stood with Jan and the Brown family. And even in the midst of death, he brought incredible peace because of the hope we have in the resurrection. And that is the power of the Easter story. You know, the worst thing that can happen to us on earth is really that we can die, right? That's the worst thing that can possibly happen to us on earth. But even then, in the worst situation we can ever face, even in that situation, at that moment, we still have hope. For Christians, death is just the doorway to even greater life in Christ. Peter Brown is more alive today than he was two weeks ago. He's healthy, he's whole, and if he had his opportunity, he would not come back. He would just smile and he'd say, I'll see you when you get here. Right? That is the hope that we have in Christ. That is what we're remembering at Easter, that even death is swallowed up in victory of life through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's incredible. In the most difficult times of life, Jesus stands with us and he brings us peace. And the disciples experienced it that very first Easter. And so I wonder today, what are you going through this morning? What's happening in your life right now? Are there things that you're anxious about? Are you consumed by worry? Have you been let down or hurt by somebody? Maybe you're in a season like these disciples and there's some some doubt and some fear in your life. Maybe you don't know what the future holds. Maybe there's been prayers that you've been praying for years that haven't yet been answered. Maybe there's disappointment that kind of lingers over your life like a dark cloud. Maybe you feel sad or alone, perhaps even overwhelmed. I want to say today, if that's you, I believe that God's word for you this morning is that Jesus is standing with you in your circumstances. You're not abandoned. You're not alone. He hasn't forgotten. And there is a supernatural peace that comes only from him, and it's a peace that passes all understanding. Psalm 29 verse 11 says, The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, 
doesn't say let it sit on the interchange bench, let it take a back seat. No, let it have a starring role in your heart. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body, the body of Christ, here as his people, you were called to stress, worry and anxiety. No, you were called to peace. The fruit of the Spirit who lives in you is love, joy, peace. And so my prayer this morning is this, that the peace of God through the power of his spirit would sweep over every person in this auditorium this morning. May he still our anxious minds. May he heal our broken hearts. And may he restore the joy of our salvation this Easter time. Jesus stands with his disciples And in this story, he recognised that peace is what was required in their situation. In the midst of the storm, Jesus said to those disciples, peace be with you. And perhaps this morning, that's his words to you this morning as well. Peace be with you. Not only were they peaceful, but post-resurrection Christians were filled with joy. In verse 20, it says, after he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. At Easter time, we rejoiced that Christ is risen from the dead. The death has been conquered. And the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and he lives in me. The resurrection replaced doubt and fear with peace and joy and you and I now in Christ can live in the resurrection power of God in all of our circumstances and that's a wonderful thing to remember this Easter time. But the truth is this, that the resurrection, this is the second point today, the resurrection must be received by faith. This is where our main character in the story failed. You may have heard someone say, don't be a doubting Thomas. You might have thought, where does that come from? Who's Thomas? Well, today, the story reveals who Thomas is. Thomas doubted the resurrection of Jesus, and it stemmed from the fact that when Jesus first appeared to those disciples, Thomas wasn't in the room. He didn't see it with his own eyes. Verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. There's this modern phenomenon that they talk about on social media these days. It's called FOMO. Does anyone know what FOMO stands for? The fear of missing out. The fear of missing out. Last weekend, Kim wasn't at church. She was at the Tumar Community Centre and she was doing a demonstration for mainly music to showcase our playgroup to our community. We had a new visitor this week as a result of that, which was really wonderful. And Kim got up the front on Sunday last week and she performed three songs and got the kids who were there involved, and it was a chance for all the parents who were present to see what Mainly Music's all about. It was a great community connection point, but before she went, she told me there was a celebrity guest who was also going to be there. Her name is Natalie Bassingthwaite. Now, if you've never heard of Natalie Bassingthwaite, it's hard to say her name, but she was on Neighbours. If you are too sensible to have ever watched Neighbours, she was also the lead singer in a band called Road Traders, And if you're over 30 and you still don't know that band, she was the host of So You Think You Can Dance, which may also not help. (laughs) But in the run sheet that Kim showed me, she was scheduled to get up immediately after Kim. And Kim was a little bit nervous about that. 
I was thinking the exact opposite. I was feeling sorry for Natalie because Kim's a very hard act to follow. I mean, she won Follows Got Talent last year. I mean, I was just picturing Natalie Bassingthwaite starting to sing and everyone booing and saying, we want Kim, we want Kim, you know, that kind of thing. But fortunately, Natalie wasn't performing. Um, you know, we don't know why. I think she was just signing autographs. We don't know why she wasn't. Maybe she wasn't scheduled to, or maybe she was just too intimidated by Kim's performance. We'll never know. But she didn't perform. She just signed autographs. Now, back here at church at the same time, um, we were just sitting down to commence our members' meeting. And I was worried about Kim because we love members' meetings here at Follow. They are exciting times. And I thought Kim might be struggling with a severe case of FOMO. And being such a loving husband, my heart was going out to her. I was convinced she would have the fear of missing out on all the exciting things that we were talking about as she was stuck at Tuma. But just as I was thinking that, I received a text message from Kim, and it came with a series of photos that looked a little bit like this. This is Kim and Lenny, and there's Natalie Bassing Swade, and they're getting their autograph done and, and all that sort of stuff. And then the next one has got, you know, three minions there. Four if you include the lady in the background, but I don't know her, so that would be a bit rude. But they were having a great time, and as I was thinking Kim might have the fear of missing out on the members' meeting, she was thinking exactly the same thing about me. And she was so concerned about it that she actually got me a signed autograph from Natalie Bathingsweight. <laughs> so we know she's a great singer, she's a great actor, she's a shocking handwriter, right? <laughs> we couldn't work out what it says. I think it says Luke with love, and we think it says big hugs. And then it says, like, Chi, and then I imagine that scribble down the bottom is her name. Isn't it amazing? That's, like, the best thing I've ever been given. Like, we've framed it. We've put it up in the pool room now. It's absolutely incredible. Um, in all honesty, I'm not a huge fan. I haven't followed her career. In fact, I had to Google the name of her band and had to find out what show she hosted. But it was great that Kim was there on the day. Um, and if it was, a, like, a, you know, a St Kilda footballer or an NBA basketballer, I would have certainly been struggling with a severe case of FOMO. But whether as a sports person, or a TV actor, or a film star, it would be fair to say that all of them fade in comparison to Jesus. After Jesus appeared, risen from the dead, and Thomas missed out, the next time the disciples saw Thomas, they ran up to him and they said, we have seen the Lord. Don't you love that, when you miss out on something amazing? You know, and that your friends run up and they go, guess what? When you went to the bathroom, you'll never guess who turned up. It was amazing. You should have been there. It really helps, doesn't it? Makes you feel so much better about that situation. Wonderful. I'm really happy for you. Thank you for sharing it with me. It doesn't help at all. And I'm sure Thomas, in this situation, was very disappointed. He's probably thinking, I can't believe I missed that one meeting. Of all meetings, I missed that meeting. He'd missed out on one of the greatest moments in human history with the central character of that human history. He would have been not happy. I think Thomas would have had a severe case of FOMO. But I've noticed something. When we miss out on something like that, often we try and downplay it like we don't really care, don't we? Instead of just celebrating with our friends that they've had an amazing moment, we have to downplay it like we don't really care, right? So when I walked in from church last week and Kim was smiling, I'm just like, I don't like Natalie Bassing's weight anyway. I don't watch Neighbours. You missed out on the members' meeting. No, 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 no. We often try and make out like we don't really care. The other thing we sometimes do is we just choose not to believe them, right? We choose not to believe it happened. I wasn't there, so I don't believe it happened. Many of you might remember Braden Otten. Now, him and his wife, Claire, are members of Follow, but they've gone over to China for a couple of years. And just before they left, 
Braden came up to me at basketball, all excited one night. And he said, you'll never guess what. And I said, what, mate? And he said, I got a hole in one at golf. I said, that is awesome. Well done, mate. That's amazing. And he said, yeah, I was playing by myself. And I said, hang on a second. You got a hole in one when you were playing by yourself. And he said, yeah. And I said, yeah, I've done that heaps of times. Like, I'm, I'm sick to death of every time I play by myself, I get a hole in one, right? I believed him, but I chose not to believe him. I chose to pretend that I didn't believe what he was saying. And this is exactly how Thomas responded. He responded in the same way with disbelief. He said, you saw Jesus, but I don't believe it. I wasn't there. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, unless I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. You see, I wanted to see a hole in one. The disciples, Thomas, wanted to see holes in the one. I wanted to see a hole in one. Thomas demanded to see holes in the one before he would believe. And this was his official line for the next week. I can imagine the disciples saying, it was amazing, Thomas, you should have been there. And he keeps going, no, I don't believe it. You're pulling my leg. Unless I see it myself, I'm not going to believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. And that was his official line for the next seven days. But in verse 26, it says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them this time. He didn't want to miss the meeting. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Isn't this interesting that just a week earlier they were in the same small room in fear. Now a week later they're back in the same small room, once again locked in there in fear. And once again Jesus appeared to them and said, peace be with you. It's just like us. There's times in life when we're anxious and afraid and we pray and Jesus says, I'm with you. And then we, we think that Jesus is with us. And then just a short time later we're in a similar situation and we don't go to Jesus, we go to fear. And this is exactly what the disciples have done. They're back in the same room with the doors locked in fear for their lives. And once again, Jesus appears like a sense of deja vu and he reminds them that in this circumstance you're going through, I'm with you. I'm standing with you and I'm giving you peace. I can imagine Thomas in this moment was probably backpedaling in his mind, thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, I knew it was true, never in doubt. But before he can make an excuse... Jesus addresses him immediately. In verse 27, he says to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. And then the next words are critical. Critical for him, critical for us. Jesus says, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. You see, the resurrection replaced doubt and fear with peace and joy, but it needed to be received by faith. And this was the moment where Thomas stopped doubting and started believing. And so we look at this story and we might think to ourselves, well, it's kind of easy for Thomas and the disciples. They had their doubts and fears, but then Jesus just rocked up. They saw the nail marks in his hand. They touched where the spear went into his side. And and that's pretty convincing truth. I mean, if I saw that, I'd believe too. Of course they're going to believe because they've seen it with their own eyes. But for us, it's not quite that easy, is it? We're thousands of years separated, removed from this event. We're surrounded by a culture filled with people who don't believe. And we weren't there as eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. So we have doubts. Maybe some of us here today have doubts. I think doubts are normal. 
I think we have all sorts of doubts in life. We doubt ourselves, we doubt our abilities, we doubt what the government promises us, I think rightly so most of the time. I think at times we even doubt God. But if you're a doubter, I want to remind you this morning that some of the greatest characters in Scripture had times of significant doubt. Moses doubted he could speak to Pharaoh even after God told him he could. Gideon doubted he was called by God. King David often doubted God's goodness and cried out to him, asking all sorts of questions. The disciples doubted Jesus in the storm. If you have doubts, that doesn't make you a bad Christian, it makes you human. It doesn't mean that God will be angry when you ask questions of him. In many ways it's normal, but Jesus wants us to get to the point where we replace our doubt with faith. He wants us to get to the point where we replace our doubt with faith. So important that we get to that point in our faith. His words to Thomas, I think are the same words he'd speak to us this Easter post, as post-resurrection Christians. Stop doubting and believe. And maybe that's God's word for you this morning. Stop doubting and believe. You know, there are lots of people out there who don't believe until they can logically work it all out. There's a lot of doubting Thomases out there today. Unless I see it with my own eyes, I won't believe it. Unless I can work God out and put him in a neat little box of understanding, then I can't believe in a God like that. The problem, of course, is that if you can put God in a neat little box of understanding, you're going to be bigger than him and he won't be a God worth worshipping. To be a Christian requires faith. If you could work it all out, if you could fathom the almighty creator of the universe in your tiny little brain, then it wouldn't be faith. But having said that, and this is important to say, there's a big difference between faith and blind faith. Many skeptics say to be a Christian, you need blind faith, that you have to kind of bypass all logic and evidence to trust in Jesus. However, I don't believe that to be true. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. To be a Christian doesn't mean that we remove our, our brain at the door of faith so that we can step inside. Now I've removed my brain, I can trust Jesus. I don't think that's true at all. In fact, I think some of the world's greatest intellectuals are people of faith. God wants and expects us to fully engage our brains as we seek to follow him. God has given us a brain and he expects us to use it. John Lennox, Irish mathematician, philosopher of science and Christian apologist, says faith is not a leap in the dark. It's the exact opposite. It's a commitment based on evidence. It is irrational to reduce all faith to blind faith and then subject it to ridicule. That provides a very anti-intellectual and convenient way of avoiding intelligent discussion. That's a great quote by a very intelligent man. God wants us to think, but for the majority of people, the sticking point in Christianity is the resurrection. Very few intellectuals deny that Jesus existed in the time the Bible describes nor do they doubt that he was crucified by the Romans. The existence of Jesus is a given for most serious sceptics. But the resurrection is the point of debate because our faith depends on it. And after 2,000 years of people trying to disprove it, it still stands as the defining truth of Christianity. 
Now, I think there's lots of convincing proofs of Jesus' resurrection, and we don't have time to go into depth in all of that today, but I've suggested some resources in your notes if you're interested in reading more. But there were things like an empty tomb. There is a body that has never been provided. If there's so many people trying to disprove a resurrection, particularly at the moment Jesus was killed, then surely someone could present a body and say, here he is. He didn't rise from the dead. His resurrection is recorded in the Bible. The Bible has been proved to be a reliable historical document. And that's all good evidence, but I think the greatest evidence is comparing pre-resurrection and post-resurrection disciples. When Christianity first came on the scene, it was seen as a dangerous sect. It was exclusive. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to God except through me. You can imagine many other people didn't like that. It was unpopular and hated. It led to persecution or prison time or even death. Why on earth would anybody want to be a Christian if Jesus died and stayed in the tomb? And yet Christianity absolutely boomed with explosive growth and expanded right across the earth. And 2,000 years, it's gone to the ends of the earth all the way to a place called Officer. It's incredible, isn't it? How could that possibly happen? Most of these same disciples who had their doubts and fears cowering in a dark room ended up being killed for their absolute faith in Jesus. The only thing that could change them from what they were to what they became was the resurrection. Only the resurrection could convince them so wholeheartedly that Jesus was worth following. These disciples had that privilege of being eyewitnesses and it caused them to abandon absolutely everything else and follow Jesus with their lives. That's incredible evidence for the resurrection. But for us, the resurrection needs to be received by faith. Jesus only walked on earth just over three decades, so the window in human history where Jesus was here amongst us was only very, very tiny. And Jesus knew this. In verse 29, after Peter had accepted him as Lord, he said, "'Because you have seen me, you have believed.'" Because you've seen me with your eyes, you've believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus is describing every person in this room who has accepted the resurrection by faith. Blessed are the people who have not seen and yet have believed. We can study and learn and wrestle with evidence forever and a day, but there will always be a gap between what we know and trust in Jesus and what is required at that point is a step of faith. That's why the book of Hebrews says, without faith it's impossible to please God. Christianity requires a step of faith, and for us we can only receive the resurrection by faith. And so maybe God's word to you Today is the same word to Thomas. It's time to stop doubting and believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So the resurrection replaces fear and doubt with peace and joy. The resurrection needs to be received by faith. And finally today, the resurrection fuels mission. In verse 21 it says, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. This moment in John 20 is a pivotal moment in their lives, 
in the mission of God and in salvation history. In fact, we could directly track this moment today in this room all the way back to that moment in that room. That's how significant it is. This is where the New Testament mission of God is truly birthed. The disciples were clearly different people after the resurrection and they spent the rest of their lives telling everybody about Jesus. They had an incredible joy in their salvation that came from the resurrection and it inspired them at the risk of their own lives to go and tell the world the good news. Well, like them, we are post-resurrection Christians. Amen? And so I wonder sometimes why we don't have the same urgency. They did to share the good news. As post-resurrection Christians, I wonder sometimes why we don't have the same urgency they did to share the good news. These same frightened men, inspired by the resurrection, empowered by the Holy Spirit, left that room and in Acts it tells us that followers of Christ just a short time later had turned the world upside down. By AD 50, the same Thomas who doubted the resurrection had spread the gospel from Palestine all the way to the tip of India. And from his missionary endeavours was birthed a church called the Ma Thoma Syrian Church, which now has 1.5 million followers in India. Another million followers spread throughout North America, Europe, the Middle East, Malaysia, Singapore, South Africa, Australia and New Zealand. Millions more have been impacted by Thomas's story recorded in Scripture. It's absolutely incredible. And it started through one man who stopped doubting and started believing. Resurrection is what changed their lives and it's why Easter is so important. If you've received by faith the resurrection of Jesus, the only reasonable response is mission. We have life-changing news of eternal life for a world that's dying around us. And standing in the power of the resurrection, we can go and share the good news of the gospel knowing that Jesus stands with us. And so I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge all of us this morning. Who can you share your faith with this Easter time? Maybe you could take a risk and invite a, a, a non-Christian friend to church at a time of year where people are a lot more open than they usually are. Maybe the Easter story this year could reignite our passion for the lost, for mission, for those in officer in the southeast of Melbourne who don't know Jesus, for our friends, for our family. And for our workmates, I pray that the truth of resurrection this Easter will drive us to our knees in prayer. The resurrection, it's the resurrection that replaces our fear and doubt with peace and joy and boldness. It's the resurrection that must be received by faith and it's the truth and power of the resurrection that fuels mission to see the greatest change of all. Let's bow our heads and we're going to pray. Lord God, we thank you that you sent your one and only Son, that you loved the world so much that you gave him for us, that he would come and live and dwell amongst us, that he would die a death on the cross for our sins. But Lord, we pray today and we thank you today that we don't serve a dead God. We don't serve a statue. We don't serve a dead leader. We serve a risen king. And with that comes incredible boldness and influence and power and hope. And so today, as we start this Easter series, Lord, I pray we don't just meander through this series thinking, well, I've heard this before, and yeah, I know the Easter story, but Lord, may it grip our hearts afresh this morning. 
May it change us from the inside out. May it replace our doubt and fear this morning with joy and hope. Lord, as we receive the resurrection by faith, may it fuel our heart afresh for mission. Lord, there are so many people in our region that don't know you. Many of them are our friends and family. Lord, we can't change their heart. We can't save them. But what we can do is go and share the good news. And Lord, you can change their heart. And so Lord, I pray this Easter that we wouldn't shrink back, but we'd rise up and we'd do, we'd do what you're calling us to do. That is to go and to sow and to believe that you will grow those seeds in people's hearts. Lord, we ask for miracles. Lord, we saw a miracle that first Easter, the greatest miracle ever, that death could not hold you down, but on the third day you rose from the dead. Lord, there are friends of ours. There are family members. There are people in our community. Right now they are dead. They're dead in their sins. Lord, we need, a, we need an Easter miracle, a resurrection miracle, that you would call them back to life. And Lord, maybe it is that you're calling each of us to be the vessel you want to use. And so, Lord, I pray for boldness. Lord, take away the doubt and fear and give us strength and a willingness to step out in confidence, knowing that you stand with us and knowing that we have this good news that can change people's lives, not just here on earth, but for all eternity. And so, Lord, this Easter, we choose to be grateful. We choose to be excited. We choose to be bold. We choose to step out. We choose to believe in faith that you are risen from the dead. And we're going to see other people come to know you as well. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.